Good morning, Valley family. Hope everybody's having a, a really fantastic summer. Uh, this is week number three uh, in our series. We're calling Walking Away from Jesus. Uh, a couple things before I jump on. I really want to welcome all those joining us on our online campus, live stream, wherever you are. Let's just uh, welcome them right now. And uh, I especially want to welcome soldiers from the United States Army that uh, I've been informed are joining us. Wherever you are right now, we are just honored. Thank you for your service. And uh, let's just thank them as well. I would say we see you, but we don't see you, but you see us anyway. But we're so glad that you could uh, be a part of us. Uh, listen, if you're a zillennial, that's a Gen Z or a millennial, I want to invite you out to a special event this Wednesday night. My wife Susie and I are hosting it right here at the church for our Valley Zillennials. We're launching a brand new ministry, uh, and Susie and I are, are going to be leading that. That's Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. There's going to be food. There's going to be free Valley merch just for Zillennials, 18 to 39. It's going to be a message, great time of connecting as well. But please sign up because we are preparing some food and we want to make sure there's enough for everybody. So you can sign up on the valleyny.cc, our website right there. Let us know you're coming. If you're bringing a friend, let us know as well. We want to make sure that we've got uh, all the goodies for you. Uh, it's going to be a great night, Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Well, the whole idea of this, this theme, this series that we're in for this summer is the thing that people, and when you read through the Gospels, especially uh, about the life of Jesus, everyone who encountered Jesus was changed. Uh, some for the better, some for the worse. Nobody was neutral when they had an experience with Jesus. And we're looking at some of these experiences ourselves uh, in fact, next week, uh, I'm still kind of playing with the, the, the title of it. I'm not quite sure what I want. It's, it's basically like uh, stretching for Jesus, I think is what I'm going to probably call it uh, next week as we look at how Jesus healed this man with a withered hand. I want to invite you back for that. But today I want to talk about dropping in on Jesus. Dropping in on Jesus because there is one account of an incredible miracle that Jesus did that I think sometimes, especially maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, you read these stories and you kind of just gloss over them. But there's so much happening in this one particular story uh, that, that when you peel back, pull back the curtain, you realize there's a whole lot for you and for me. So more than just, uh, you know, you read something like this, like, oh, that's nice. He healed that man. That's, that's wonderful. Praise God. Uh, that, that really there's something that there's a reason why it's in the Bible. There's something for you and something for me in this story. So my notes are on our website. You can follow along with us there. In Mark chapter 2, I just want to read the, the account here of what happens. And, and an interesting, just a little background on the gospel of Mark. The gospel of Mark was written when almost all the apostles were dead. There was only a few that were still alive of the original, you know, disciples of Jesus' 12. And so Mark is taking painstaking uh, details about what happened from literal eyewitnesses. And so these are first-hand accounts that are, have been written down, preserved for you and preserved for me as well. And in Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. And some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they could not get 
get him to Jesus because of the crowd. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. What in the world is going on here? I mean, let's just think about this for just a minute. There, there's this crippled guy. He's never walked before. The, the crowds are so big. Jesus is in a home, and his friends pick up the mat. He, at least he's got four good friends, you would think, or they're dragging him a little bit with three. But, but his friends pick up the mat. They try to get him to Jesus. They can't get in the door. The crowd is so much. So they climb up on the roof, and in those days, roofs were made of like mud and, and pitch and tar, that kind of thing. Uh, so so it, it would have been not easy, but you know, it wouldn't have been like this huge repair to, to fix the roof, to fix the hole in the roof. So they tear open a hole in the roof, and they lower, Jesus, they lower the crippled man down to Jesus. They don't say anything. The crippled man never says anything. And Jesus says, I forgive you of all your sins. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've been a Christian for a long time, this will mess up your theology. Because he never repents. And Jesus forgives him of all his sins. There's so much going on in here. The, 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 the friends don't even say, would you heal our crippled friend? There, there's not recorded that they said anything. The crippled man never asked, would you heal me, Lord? Nothing. And, and, and you say, well, you know, we could probably infer, ooh, don't be careful about adding stuff to the Bible that's not there. There's no recorded words his friends say. There's no words that he says. And Jesus looks at the crippled man, and you would think he'd say, you're healed. But instead he says, I forgive you of all your sins. That's just the beginning of the story. There's so much that's going on here. Look at the next verse in verse 5. I'm sorry, verse 6. It says, now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? Speaking of Jesus, he's blaspheming. See, see, I can't forgive sins that you've committed to someone else. I can only forgive. If you've done something to me personally, I can forgive you of that. But if you did something to your Uncle Harold, I can't forgive you of that. Only Uncle Harold can do that. But Jesus says, I forgive you of everything. By making this statement, Jesus was claiming, I'm God. I'm God. That's why they said he's blaspheming the teachers of the law. He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They, they knew the Old Testament. They knew. And they're like, this guy is, is, a, is a con artist. He's a blasphemer. Immediately, look at this, I love it. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Can you imagine can you imagine if, if, like, you know, Jesus is in the room and, and all of a sudden he knows what you're thinking right now? <laughs> He is. <laughs> he is. And he knows. He, he, he not only sees the action, he knows the thoughts and the motivations of our heart. 
He knows it all. And so they're thinking these things, and he says, why are you thinking these things? I think they were like, uh-oh, the jig is up. Uh-oh, we're in trouble now. He asked them, why are you thinking these things? Then the next verse, verse 9, he asked this question, which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat, and walk? It's kind of a rhetorical question. He knows the answer to it. In other words, he's like, you know what? A lot of people God gives the gift of healing to. There's only one who can forgive sins, and that's God himself. He's like, I did the greater thing. A lot of people, God, God works through, and, and they have the, the, the spiritual gift of healing, but there's only one who can really forgive a person all their sins, and that's God himself. But he goes on and he says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He goes, I want you to know. That's one of the ways he referred to himself. Jesus did as the Son of Man. It's a name of God. He goes, I have authority to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. And he got up, took up his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. You talk about walking away from Jesus. This guy had to be carried and lowered down by his friends. Dropped in on Jesus. And he walks home with his mat under his arm. So much going on here. Through the paralyzed man, I think Jesus is trying to challenge us in just the, the actions that take place here. Through our own confusion about how this story fits into the rest of the Bible and, and into theology in general, I think Jesus is trying to comfort us. I think he's trying to communicate something that maybe we might have overlooked about how good he really is. Through the leader's shock and anger, I think he's trying to empower us. So let's, let's take a look at how these three different people walked away from Jesus. The paralytic who was healed, you and I who are the readers, and these teachers of the law, everyone with a different perspective. First of all, Jesus is trying to challenge you and me, I think. Jesus is trying to challenge you and I. Jesus is saying the main problem in your life is not what you think it is. See, the, the paralytic, he thought the main problem in his life was that he couldn't walk. And he was just sure that, that if Jesus could heal him, then, then everything in his life would be perfect. Everything would be fine. He'd have peace once and for all if he could just walk. I, I mean, I know none of us are like that, right? If, if just this would happen, if, just, if, if, I, if I only got this job, everything would be right. If I only married this person, if I only had a baby, if I only lived in this home, Everything would be right in my life. If I only drove this car, everything would be perfect. If I only had health back, everything would be right in my life. And Jesus says, you think you know what your problem is. You don't really know what the problem is. How many of you, you know, something happens, you start getting a bad headache or, or start feeling a weird pain, and you rush to WebMD? 
right? Isn't this the worst thing that's ever been put on the internet, WebMD? Because what happens, you get a pain, and you go on there, and you're like, ooh, I got a little rash, and you look it up, rash on arm, you know, death in four days. And you're like, what? <laughs> it's just like the most depressing. And then you go to the doctor, and you, you go to the doctor, and you tell the doctor what the diagnosis is, right? This is what's happening to, the, this is what's happening to Jesus right now. Their friends, this, this paralytic man, they lower him down and so that he can heal the problem, so that he can fix the problem. Because all the, the big problem for this man was that he couldn't walk. And if he could just walk, everything would be fine. Remember the things that you prayed for 20 years ago, that God came through and you're still as miserable today as you were 20 years ago and you thought that would be the answer? There's so much going on in this story. Here's this crippled man in front of Jesus, and he says, your sins are forgiven. And I, I just imagine he probably was like, what? <laughs> wait, 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 back up a minute. I wouldn't ask him for that. It's not what I want. I, I just want you to fix this, because if you fix this, I can do it all on my own. If you just give me that spouse I want, if you just give me that job I want, if you just give me that child I want, if you just give me that promotion I want, I can do the rest on my own, Jesus. I don't need you. The story's starting to hit now. If you'll just do what I want, Jesus, I'll be okay and I can return back to my idols. I don't need you to be my Lord and Savior. Just give me what I want. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. He's challenging us. He knows really what we need more than you and I know what we need. He's challenging us to really trust him. To really trust he knows us better than we, he, he can diagnose the problem better than WebMD. He knows with certainty what's really going on in our life and in our heart. It's not what you think it is, is basically, I think, what Jesus would say. Jesus is driving this crippled man deeper. By coming to me, in essence, he's saying you simply are wanting your body to be healed, but you're not going deep enough. Jesus wants to go deeper. Jesus, in essence, is saying you're not asking for enough. You're keeping things shallow. So many times we just want to keep things shallow with Jesus. Oh, we would never admit that. But it's just like, Jesus, you just handle this big thing, and you handle the big thing, I'll take care of all the little stuff. And Jesus is like, you don't even know how big the big thing is. Your big thing is really not what the problem is. It's much, much deeper than that. I just imagine the paralyzed man was, if I could only walk again, then my life would be okay. I'd never be unhappy. I'd never be discontented. I would never complain. If I could only walk, then everything in my life would be right. What's your if only? What's your if only? If God would just do this, 
everything else will be okay in my life. And Jesus says, you, you, you're just, you're keeping me shallow. I want to go deep. Jesus, in essence, I think, is really saying as I read this story over and over again, he, it's almost like Jesus saying, when I heal you, the first thing that's going to happen, if that's all I do, is you're going to have some, some real euphoria. And you're going to say, I'll never be unhappy again. And then I'll give you about two months. And then you'll get too busy and you won't have time for me anymore. Six months from now, you won't even give me a passing thought. And you'll walk away from me changed. But you'll walk away from me never to walk to me again. As friends tear a hole in the roof. Lower this man down. Jesus looks. Your sins are forgiven. Whoa, that's not what I asked for. Jesus is challenged. There's such a challenge in this account. You know, because here's the thing. The, the roots of discontentment, they, they weren't in the fact that this man was crippled and lame. The roots of discontentment start in the human heart. And that's deep. Jesus could heal him physically, but unless he touched his heart, this man was going to be discontent again. It is more than possible. In fact, it's easy for Jesus to give you exactly what it is that you need. Exactly what it is that I need. But it could be the thing that harms us the most in our relationship with him. Because whatever we feel like, that's the answer. If I only had blank, we think that's why we're discontent. But the reality is, it's our hearts. Because our hearts are not after him the way he wants them to be. James chapter 4 verse 2 puts it this way. You do not have because you do not ask you do not ask. I don't know, uh, I, I don't personally know a lot of uh, like rich and famous people. However, uh, my brother, Scott, who's retired from Coca-Cola, he knows a lot of very rich, powerful, famous people. He was the vice president of communications for Coca-Cola, United States of America, when he retired at 52. He ran all of the sports media communications, everything. You, you, like, you name the sports star, he, he's a friend of my brother's. Not going to name drop or anything, but my brother was a friend of LeBron James when he was in high school. Just, just, just like that. Just crazy powerful. And the one thing that my brother, we were just down at their house on vacation, sitting on the front porch, just chatting, catching up. And we got to talking about this, Scott and I, and he said, you know, the funny thing is, I know so many people that are so, I mean, millions, millions, millions of dollars, powerful, movie star, film, all this stuff. And he said, and they're absolutely miserable. But there was a time in their life when they thought, all I need to do is win that Academy Award. 
All I need is that Super Bowl ring. All I need, whatever it is. And then they get it, and you know what happens? He said, some of them are just downright mean. He started dropping names, and I won't drop names, but Grammy Award winners that are just like the nastiest people you'd ever meet in your life. They thought that that, that, that power, that fame, that money, that whatever it is, that that would make their heart content. In other words, they're like, Jesus, just, just heal my legs. And he's like, it's not going to help you if I do. Because what's really the problem is not your legs, it's the heart. He did this man a favor. And he didn't even ask for it. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus is trying to challenge you and to challenge me. See, the reality is we all suffer from a case of mistaken identity. We draw our identity from the things that we do, the things that we've accomplished, the place that we live, you know, our career, you know, you, you name it. And, and we say, this is who we are. Instead of drawing our identity from who God says you are, who God says I am. And we say, I, I, I'm this, I, I accomplished this, people recognize me for this. It's all a case of mistaken identity. Our deepest problem is every one of us is building our identity on something or someone other than Jesus Christ. That's why we're not content. It's not because of what we don't have. It's really not, it's not what people have done to us. It's not any of those, it's not the things that we lack. We're building our identity on something or someone other than Jesus Christ. We were served day, we were out at Red Wing Park, some of us, my team, and we were painting some boulders, and I, I was telling well, some of the folks that were there, you know, I ran into someone recently I went to high school with, uh, kindergarten, literally kindergarten through 12th grade, graduated from John Jay when we got into changing classes. She was in my homeroom, all, all this. I ran into her and uh, her husband. I didn't know her husband. And uh, she introduced me and she says, oh, this is Greg Williamson. I'm like, good to meet you. And she goes, he was the quarterback of the football team. And I was like, that was 35 years ago. Like, I've done a few things since then, you, you know, like, like a couple, you know, or something like that. And like, it's, 30, it's 35 years or 36 years, and, and, and but, but you know what was so funny? Like, that was my identity for the longest time. That was my identity. And, and it's kind of like Jesus tells the parable of, of the man who builds his house on sand. When the winds come, and, and when my identity was built on Greg the quarterback, the winds came and it blew the house down. But the man who built his house on a rock, who's a rock? Jesus is the rock. When the winds come, and they will come, our identity is not threatened any longer. See, even being a pastor, that's something that I do. That's not who I am. That's not my identity because one day I will step away from this. Does that mean I, I don't even know who I am anymore? No. We all suffer from mistaken identity because we're building our identities on anything other than Jesus Christ. 
When we first have problems, we go to God. We're asking God to help us really to, to in essence, eliminate this in my life so I can get back to my, my other saviors, my other idols. We're asking God to give us that little bit of help over the hump, and then we can save ourselves. Then we don't need him any longer. So Jesus is challenging us. Also, Jesus is trying to comfort us. There's so much comfort in this account of what happens. Jesus is trying to comfort us because he gives forgiveness to the man who doesn't even repent of his sins. Think about that for a minute. He doesn't say, he doesn't call him Lord. He doesn't call him master. He nothing, he did, there's nothing recorded that he says, and Jesus goes, your sins are forgiven. How is this possible? Well, don't forget, just a little bit after this, look at Mark, uh, put up the next passage here. In Mark chapter 2, verse 8, it says, Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? This is in relationship to the teachers of the law that were there watching this, but also to the crippleman. He knew what was in his heart. He, he knew what, could I put it this way, what morsel of faith was in his heart. What fragment of faith was in this man's heart. And he could see it. And he could see it with such clarity that he was able to say, your sins are forgiven. Kind of reminds me of the thief on the other cross when Jesus was crucified. One, one, the, the thief on the other side is hurling all these accusations and, and curses at Jesus. And the thief on the other side, he says, this is God. He says, he says, well, don't you fear even at this point? And he turns to Jesus and he goes, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's all he says. And Jesus goes, you're going to be with me. Just a fragment of faith. Tiny little, little grain of faith right there. Not even for the crippled man, not even spoken. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Again, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you know you've got to repent of your sins. You've got to say, Father, forgive. You have to pray that sinner's prayer, right? <laughs> it's not in the Bible. Nowhere. Jesus saw that fragment of faith in this crippled man's heart because he knew what they were thinking in their hearts, the whole crowd. And he knows what you're thinking in your heart right now, too. Jesus Christ is so gracious. Jesus Christ is so eager to embrace us and for us to receive his pardon that he even responds to fragmentary, imperfect expressions of dependence and our need in our heart that aren't even expressed. That's how eager Jesus is to show you his grace. Let me put it this way. Uh, the grace, Jesus is, Jesus is aggressive in his grace. Jesus' grace is aggressive. We love that song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. You, you know, and, and it's like, we, we, amazing grace, it's so fantastic. But in our minds and thoughts, we're like, yeah, but I kind of had to do something to earn it. I, I kind of had to first, like, take a step in his direction. This crippled man took no step. He was crippled. We don't even know, based on the account, if he wanted to. His friends just picked him up and started carrying him one place. And there's nothing he could do about it. But Jesus is aggressive in his grace. How does that truth blow up your preconceived ideas of how you've got to earn it from God? His grace is aggressive. 
This man didn't say anything. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. He, he wants to comfort you and I that have this drive inside. I've, I've got to do my best to be a good person for God to forgive me and God to love me. This man did nothing but lay on the mat. He said nothing. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. I don't know about you, but that brings great comfort to me. That, that brings great comfort to me every time I mess up. Every time I fall short of being the man God wants me to be. Jesus is aggressive in his grace. That's what's so amazing about grace. It's like his grace just attacks us. It, it overcomes. The man said nothing. He just laid there. He did nothing. He just laid there. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Here you have this Jesus who's so gracious, so eager to bless, so eager to embrace that he responds even to inarticulate, fragmentary, imperfect expressions. Just basically this man had a need and God knew, and Jesus knew what was in his heart and the need was more than just walking. It was forgiveness. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine, I love this. The message translation says, God isn't late with his promises as some measure lateness. He's restraining himself on account of you. Holding back the end because he doesn't want anyone lost. He's giving everyone space and time to change. That's his grace. Because he loves you. And he loves the person next to you. And he loves the person that lives next to you. And he loves the person in the cubicle next to you. And he loves the person in the car next to you that just cuts you off and you don't love very much. That's his grace. Jesus is challenging, trying to challenge us. Jesus is trying to comfort us. And finally, Jesus is trying to empower us. I think we see that in this story. Do you know what Jesus is claiming there when he, when he says, he looks at the man and says, I forgive you your sins, all your sins right now. Not only is Jesus claiming that he's God because he forgives sin, Jesus is also making a powerful truth here that I think so many times we forget. All sin, every sin, is against God. Every one. We think it's against someone else. But Jesus says, no, you sinned against me. Every sin that I've ever committed, it may be against other people, but, but ultimately they're all against God himself. That's why we need God's forgiveness. David got this. King David got this when he sinned with Bathsheba, who was married to Uriah, the Hittite, in the Old Testament. And then Bathsheba came to him and said, 
I'm pregnant. And, and, and David plotted, he conspired to have the army withdraw when Uriah was on the front lines, knowing that it would kill him. Jesus was, uh, I'm sorry, David was an adulterer and a murderer. And when the prophet Nathan comes in and confronts him, it's amazing David's response. Let's look at it here. Psalm 51 verse 4, David writes in reference to God against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight, you will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. Well, I, I thought he, he murdered Uriah. The, the baby that Bathsheba was pregnant with, uh, that she died as a consequence, that the baby died as a consequence of the sin. And David goes, God, it's against you only have I sinned. He, he, got, he, he saw the bigger picture. All sin ultimately is against God. It is against our brothers and sisters. It is against others. But, but let me just put it this way. If I lie to Susie, she may forgive me, but there's still a problem that has not been reconciled yet. And that is that in lying to her, I sinned against God. That's why Jesus said, I forgive you your sins. Because he was saying, every sin you committed, man on the mat, you sinned against me. Because he's God. So many times I think we leave that out of the equation. And until we get that right in our relationship with God, God forgive me for what I've done. That's why so many times we walk around with just this harness of guilt around our shoulders all the time. We may have made it right with the person, but we haven't ever recognized, no, I sinned against you, God. David and all his flaws, he got this right. No wonder is it that God said about David and no one else in the Old Testament, he's a man after my own heart. He gets me, God said. Jesus is trying to empower us. Jesus Christ, by forgiving the man, is claiming to be God Almighty, and they know it. Why are you thinking these things, he says, which is easier? He says to, to say to a paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk. Don't miss this now. Jesus knows that the only way he's ever going to be able to make legs of an immobile man mobile is if, her, if, is if his own legs are nailed to the cross. They go together. They have to go together. The only way he's going to make this man dance is if Jesus himself dies. The only way he's going to make this man whole is if he's willing to be broken. And, and you know, he looks at them and, and he sees them at their worst. And he looks at you and he looks at me and he sees us at our worst. And even at our worst, Jesus concludes, you are worth it. I love you that much. I love you so much that not only have I seen the dumb stuff you've done, I've seen the dumb stuff you've thought. 
I've seen the things that motivated you from your heart. And I'll still give my life up for you. So much happening in this account. I'm still going to die for you. Just let that truth go to your heart for just a minute. Jesus knows it all. Everything about you. He knows what really the deeper problem is, not the shallow one. And he loves you anyway. Great Christian author C.S. Lewis put it this way, the hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men. I love that. The hardness of God is softer, is kinder than the softness of men. Do you believe that? But the thing that really challenges us to see is Jesus, in essence, this is a, a promissory note by healing this paralytic man. Jesus, by healing him so that his legs could walk, it's a promissory note like, and my legs will be nailed to a cross for you. I, I, I can say I forgive you, Jesus says, because I'm going to pay the price for your sins. I'm going to lay my life down for you. That's why I can do that. That's why I can say that. In essence, Jesus is saying, I'm not going to play the worst trick on you possible and give you the deepest desires of your heart. I'm not going to hurt you that way. What I want to do instead is, I want to become the deepest desire of your heart. And when I become the deepest desire of your heart before anyone else or anything else, then you'll begin to find wholeness. Wholeness deep inside. And then it doesn't matter what you thought that shallow need was in your life that you just, if you had that, everything would be fine. You're going to be fine and whole when I become the desire of your heart. And you'll not thirst again. I forgive you. Oh, by the way, let me do the easy stuff now. Take up your, take up your mat and walk. And the man stands up, folds up his mat, and walks away from Jesus, changed forever. Not because he could walk, but because the deepest desire of his heart that day was Jesus. And he found peace. That same peace is available for you and for me today. How are you keeping things shallow with Jesus when he wants to go deeper into what it is that you really need the most? Don't keep him at arm's length. Let him go deep, deep into your heart. That's where we all need him the most. I'm going to ask right now, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for giving us a healer, a real healer. Thank you for the healing 
that never comes the way that we expect. We always go thinking that this is the main place that we heard and you always take us some other place. Thank you that you're the one that we can trust because by your stripes we're healed. By your wounds we're healed. Our wounds close up because your wounds were opened on the cross. Thank you that we, that you've been willing, Lord, to love us to the very last, to the end. And we pray now, Lord, that you would help us to appropriate this and apply it to our lives by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.